This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey guys, welcome back to the Jen Hatmaker Book Club Podcast. If you are listening to this over on our regular For the Love podcast feed, welcome. This is all things Jen Hatmaker Book Club, which includes an interview with our author of the month every single month, which is just the best because we get to ask all of our questions and get this sort of front seat to their work and get to tell them our reaction. It's just the best. And we would love to have you join us. You can find out more at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. As you know, I am from Texas. So fall is a metaphorical concept here. (laughs) Chris believes, never knew him. But I love the idea of fall, which includes this cozy feeling that we often can get from inside the pages of a book, of a really good book. And that is what we're bringing you this month. This month's choice is none other than Who is Maude Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. So, oh man, what a good one. (laughs) Alexandra is a journalist. She's an editor, copywriter in New York and Paris. 
So obviously words are her forte. And this is her first book, Who is Maud Dixon? It was named Best Mystery Novel of the Year by the New York Times. So kudos. Best Book of the Year by Time, NPR, Publishers Weekly. I mean, really incredible. I mean, can we take a minute to imagine your very first book being met with that level of success. It's so exciting what she's accomplished. And I am so glad to have read it and to dropped it in a book club because it is a, I told her in this interview, it's like a cheeky thriller. And I think that's exactly what everyone's experience of it is. It is a page turner. I finished it almost as soon as I started it because I couldn't put it down. And it will surprise you. You think you know where it's going, but you do not. And there's more than one twist, which is the best kind of thriller. So I could not be more delighted to share this conversation with author extraordinaire, Alexandra Andrews. Alexandra, welcome to the show. I'm really just like so thrilled to meet you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So just really quickly, now I've told everybody a little bit about you already, but can you just kind of tell my listeners, okay, this is this is where you are. This is where you live. These are your people. This is kind of your deal. And then we're going to hop into Maude Dixon. All right. My deal is I live in Brooklyn. My deal is I have taken an enormous amount of cold medicine this morning, so I make no promises for making sense. Yeah. Absolutely noted. (laughs) I'm a lifelong New Yorker, but I grew up in Manhattan. Now I live in Brooklyn with my husband and my two little kids who I just dropped off at school, and now I am happily alone. (laughs) I remember. The dream. (laughs) I remember. I remember that time. I have five kids. And they're like 16 to 24. So we're, we're like way North of you. But I remember that like moment when there's love you have a good day. Okay. Bye. And then you're just like, here I am. Here I am. Uh uh I'm just going to, I guess I'm going to drink my coffee and going to think exactly. I'm going to go get a coffee. Uh My brain is my own. My brain is (laughs) now you're free brain. Think what you want. How old are your kids? Two and five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in it. it. You're in it. Yeah. You're absolutely in it. All right. Well, I cannot tell you how much I love your book. And oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. So I'm always like reading, scouring, looking for like good books for a book club because we've got thousands of women. And it's important that I bring good books to them. And so I was on the prowl for a good mystery, for a little bit of a thriller. And ma'am, so good. Like, I just didn't see it all coming. And so, you know, it's like the finish the page. Maude Dixon needs to be in the book club. Let's see what we can do. So fantastic. Congratulations on writing an amazing book. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's talk about it. A huge portion of my book club, we like a suspenseful novel. Oh, they're so great. They're so fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're so fun. And, but for, for fans of the genre, it, those can get repetitive or they can follow really similar 
you know, rhythms or even like story arcs. But with your book, it was like fresh and surprising. And we're like, oh, she's crazy. Oh, she is too. Like, (laughs) we just, it was just really original. And so can we talk for a second about where this story came from in your brain. Did you noodle this for a long time? Did your characters kind of tell you as you wrote them what they were going to do? You know, novelists all do this very differently. Their stories come to them very differently. How did this one come to you? So this one came to me, you know, I'm always sort of inspired the same way, which is reading another book and thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. For a long time, it was mostly nonfiction books. I, I really wanted to be Joan Didion. I sort of make fun of the, like, Joan Didion fangirls in the books, but I was like, you know, true blue Joan Didion fangirl. And it just, it wasn't working because there's really only one Joan Didion. There sure and is. And then I guess when I was, yeah, when I was pregnant with my daughter, my oldest child, I was reading The Talented Mr. Ripley. And I was just thinking like, this book is so fun. It's so stylish. Like it's so Like it's got this like dry humor. I wish I could write something like this. It was the first time I like really kind of had this itch to write fiction. Okay. And it was also at the height of sort of that Elena Ferrante fever where everyone was reading the Elena Ferrante books. And so it was sort of those two ideas coming together. The idea of like an identity theft or an identity playing with identity and this idea of a pseudonymous writer. And so it was those two thoughts are sparking together and I started writing it when I was pregnant and then I had a baby and stopped obviously and didn't do anything for several months and then then we moved to Paris when my daughter was seven months old and we knew we were going for two years I wasn't happy in my career I'd always wanted to be a writer I wanted to write a book so badly and I just hadn't been able to do it and I said okay this is my do or die this is my moment. If I don't do it in Paris, I'm giving up the dream. That's Mm. it. Oh my gosh. And I went to Paris thinking I was going to write a nonfiction book about migraines, which now I look back at it. I just think, God, that would have been so boring. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to read about that. Wow. I was on my computer and like looking at old drafts and I started rereading what I had written of this draft. And I sort of was, I usually hate what I write. And I was finding lines in there and I was thinking, you know, there might be something here. And so I just sort of kept going with it. Although the plot changed a lot. Did it? Yes, very much. We want to know about that. We're interested to know, (laughs) like, what was the first through line that you discarded? Or maybe the first couple. Novelists who have to go through several iterations, I honestly, it's such a labor. I know. I really am sick of it. (laughs) Uh, It's such a heavy list. And then you have to just cancel out so much of your writing. It just is, I I marvel at your like ability to do it. I know. I said to my husband the other day, I was like, I don't think I want to be a novelist. This is, (laughs) this is a lot of work. (laughs) That's right. Cause like we just get the finished product, but like we don't see we don't see how many pages are on the cutting room floor, how once upon a time. 24 drafts on my computer of that book. Did you say yeah. 24? I said 24. Oh. It's sick. Gosh. I know. Wow. And uh, my computer was actually stolen in Paris and I, I lost a lot of drafts. So I had to go back no. and rewrite some of it. <laughs> exactly. Oh <my> <laughs> That's the point. I'm just like, fine. I just won't be a writer. I'll just, I'm exactly. going to be a barista. I know. 
Yeah, exactly. It wasn't meant to be. So you had started with kind of a, a suspense novel. Was that the yes. genre? I knew okay. I wanted to write a suspense novel because I liked them. And I felt like there was a certain like kind of like people weren't really writing like Patricia Highsmith books anymore, where there was sort of like a sense of like fun and slyness. A lot of the suspense novels I were reading were very gritty. Totally. And like, I personally cannot read books where like a seven-year-old is kidnapped and like held in a farmhouse. Like so I just cannot. Dark. Right. Yeah, just so <laughs> dark. Right. And yes. I thought it was possible to sort of write, write a light kind of fun thriller, which is what I set out to do. But originally the plot was very different. It was much more focused on Florence and less on Maud slash Helen. But I ended up liking that character so much. I just wanted to keep keep her in more. Originally, I don't know if you remember this, but when people were trying to figure out who Elena Ferrante really was, a journalist like hacked the like the records at her literary agency and all these journalists were trying to track down who she was. So originally in my plot, there was a journalist who was trying to track down Maud Dixon and finds Florence pretending to be Maud. And then she, Florence kills the journalist. And then that all went by the wayside. And ultimately, I really wanted to make the relationship between these two women, the, the core of the book. I mean, I feel like you picked the right plot. I mean, it was <laughs> just you. so fascinating and surprising. It's so wonderful to be surprised in a book in any way. Like when something happens and you haven't, I can always look backwards and see some of the, the breadcrumbs you left for us. But at the time, you're just building out characters. You're, I feel like, oh, we're just building out the substance of their lives. And then you really like took a hard left and it was just so fun to read. I remember sitting there and being like, what? A couple of times. What? No. I love hearing that. <laughs> Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I want to talk about Florence a little bit. Well, really, I guess this is really my question. And, and maybe this is what you're kind of just saying. Did Florence come to you first? Was Florence your lead? How did Florence get formulated in your brain? Is this an amalgamation of people that you know? Is this, I mean, obviously you're kind of an insider to the industry. And so was this yeah, like- I always get a little nervous to say this because she's like a crazy person, but it's like, it was a little bit me. <laughs> I, I love it. I was a frustrated writer. I really wanted to be a writer. It wasn't happening. I like wasn't writing I wasn't liking what I was writing and I just thought like I really feel like I'm supposed to be a writer but like I can't get there and so I started writing a character a little bit like that but 
I sort of took everything to the extreme. I wanted her to feel like a real outsider, like looking in on this world. So she's like new to the, to New York. And, and I knew that she was going to end up crossing some line. And so I did want to sort of see these little behaviors, which when you're first reading them, you're just sort of like, okay, she's quirky. Totally. She's a little, uh-huh. a little weird. Yeah. And the reader, I wanted the reader to be on her side a little bit. So they're going with her, they're with her. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait. <laughs> totally. And they're almost implicated a little bit, you know? I mean, you did that really well because shockingly, like even all the way to the end, I still had pieces of me like pulling for her. Like I, I like know? to hear that too. Yeah. All the way to the I'm like, Jen, golly, <laughs> like this is just a little bit sociopathic. And I'm like, come on, Florence. Exactly. <laughs> Live your life. <laughs> yeah, you do you. <laughs> yeah. It's just so like so well written, so well crafted. And and you're right. Like now, of course, I could look backwards and be like, oh, like she sent him pictures of his kids. Like that was pretty dark behavior. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty seedy behavior. But at the time I was just like, well, he shouldn't have been messing around. (laughs) (laughs) I think one thing that in book club, now what's, here's what's so funny about your book, Alexandra, is it is our October selection in book club, which means my book club got it about a week ago. And so I'm interviewing you like at the front of the month so that we can have this all ready to go for everybody by the end of the month, by the time everybody's so many of our members are done with it. They're finished. They read it. It's hard to put down. It's, it just turns the pages just turn. And so what's hilarious is we already have a lot of really robust conversations going on in our book club about your plot, about your characters, because everybody's like, I'm finished. I finished it in a day. I I finished it in two days. I know. I know. It was so good. It's like a huge, like our community loves it. So one thing that we're talking about already in book club is this, like the way that you played around with morally gray characters and more than one, like you didn't give us a real clear hero and a real clear villain. You know, it's just not that tidy. And It's a little murky and even the concept of morality is kind of, you kind of played fast and loose with it. And so I wonder if it was, if that was hard to write, if at any point along the way or any of those 24 drafts, (laughs) did you have a cleaner version of any of it and then decided, no, we're going to stay here in the gray? No, they pretty much always stayed in the gray. Actually, the tone was a bit different in earlier drafts. It was almost a little campy or um, sort of over the top. And I think that's why I didn't find it hard to write these characters because they felt a little like, they just seem so over the top to uh-huh. playful. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't think anyone is going to sleep at night worried that, you know, Helen is going to come knocking on their door with an ax. Like these are just ridiculous women, but they're rooted in, I think, emotions that have been exaggerated but that a lot of women sort of feel like not getting the life they feel like they deserve or like how much is up to them to be able to choose that life that they want and you know there are a lot of women or people in general not just women who you know they've they've had a tough upbringing they've been up against a lot of obstacles and 
how much leeway do they deserve and how much can we really blame them for not having the tools to go after success in sort of ordinary ways? Mm. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, really with both of your lead characters, there was a lot to identify with. I mean, obviously their experiences are outside the ordinary, but some of it isn't. And, you know, a lot of us were, it's just very like relatable to think about dreams that fell short and feeling like other people are getting the credit when you're as good as they are. But for some reason, you're just, they're taking up all the oxygen in the room, even fields where men tend to dominate as it can be in publishing. And and you touched on that too, like, especially in some of the snarky dialogue kind of at the beginning in the bar, just about how, you know, women should be the heroes and, but that's, that can be true too. So you gave us enough, I think in each character that we felt like, okay, I could pull for you or at the very bare minimum, I can have compassion for you mm-hmm. amidst your real, real bad choices. <laughs> yes, very bad choices. <laughs> really, really bad choices. <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm thinking about you as a writer, if it was hard to parse out the the nuance of the story bit by bit. Like, I think my tendency, I'm not a novelist, I'm a nonfiction writer. And so I feel like my tendency would be, I would front load it all too fast. I just know it. I know that I would do it. I would show my cards. I would play my hand, but you managed a lot of restraint. So I'm wondering if you had to sort of ever go back through and go, oh, this is too soon. Let me push this a little later or let me save this kind of clue for a little bit later than this. Or did you just have the restraint of a novelist writing a suspense novel going, oh, no, 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 we're just going to meet this out. I don't think I've ever been accused of having restraint before. Uh (laughs) I don't think I did. I think what actually happened was I would sort of like write it at the pace I would want. And then I would reach the end and I would think, I need a little bit more. And I just kept wanting to like push the envelope and take it farther. Like I would think it would be over at certain points. So originally Helen did die in the car crash and she didn't come back. And then I was like, oh, I want her to come back. And then, you know, at the end with the agent, with Agatha, like that whole situation, that was just kind of glommed on at the end. I don't know. I just had this urge to like keep taking it further and see how far I could go. And then, and then at the end, when I had finished it and given it to my agent and my editor, there was, I did do a little bit of work of like going back and seeding things in and setting up some things a little bit better. So I'd say it was sort of a mix of doing it early and then reading it through and thinking, okay, well, if I put this conversation here, that helps later. Uh-huh, totally. I would love to hear you talk about what it's been like to have, I mean, here's this book that you just like labored to bring forward part of your dream. I mean, you just kind of ground it out and then it was just so successful. Like that's exciting and not guaranteed. And a lot of cases with novelists, even rare. And so what has it been like to have your novel like so heralded and and loved and awarded. I mean, it's a dream. Like it's it's a bit of a dream. It must feel like a little bit to you. It does feel a little, a little surreal. I feel very like grateful and 
and proud too. Like at every step along the way, I was, I'd been writing for so long without any success. And even when I just finished the first draft, I was so happy I finished the first draft. And then when I got an agent, I was just like thrilled I had an agent. And then when it's salt, like every step has felt like icing on the cake. But it also, it came out like kind of at the height of COVID. So it was a little removed. Like I didn't do any bookstore events. I didn't do a tour. I did a few Zoom things. So in some ways, it sort of felt like, did this even happen? And the buildup had been had been so long. I mean, in, in general, I just, yeah, I feel very lucky. And honestly, I still sometimes think like, I can't believe that actually happened. <laughs> totally. Totally. I'm curious now that this one is out in the world and the readers are now a part of the story and their feedback and just all of it, because now you've given it to us and we get to be part of it. Will you sort of follow a similar path on your next book? You surely must be writing on working on something else right now, right? I am working on something else right now. It is a very similar book. It's not like any of the same characters or anything, but I'm trying to have it have a similar feel. It's about, so when I was writing Florence, I was, I guess, like, I don't know, 35 or something. And it felt like I was sort of reaching back towards like early 20s, that period where you're figuring out who you are. And a lot of it, I was kind of like, what, what was I like back then, 10, 15 years ago? And this one, I'm trying to like, write a little bit more from my own experience. So it's about a young mother who's married with one child who lives on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And she starts having an affair, which I am not doing. And (laughs) she ultimately, very bad things start to happen around the affair and there is somebody dies. So it does sort of have that. It is, I would call it a suspense novel, but I am also trying to like, I don't know, like portray those feelings of like being a first time mother and how you feel like you can sort of lose yourself a little bit. And like, you can maybe go to extreme lengths to try to like find a version of yourself that is true or that is maybe not true, but like not a mother has, is in a separate sphere. And so it's a little bit of a balancing act between those two things. I was sort of torn at one point, like, should I try to go in a more literary direction and like sort of make this a more like honest accounting of like the emotions of this woman and a period of her life or should I take it more in like a thriller direction and you know I just I really can't resist a dead body <laughs> so I took it in the thriller direction <laughs> it's the quote body. of the interview just can't resist a dead body I don't know what's wrong with me that's so great like how that's far are you I can't watch scary movies like really that's so funny I'm like I can't even watch a preview for a horror movie that is yeah. so funny <laughs> Okay, this just lives in a literary chamber exactly. in your mind. That's exactly. it. Exactly. Have you written a whole draft through or are you still fleshing out the I have not written a whole draft through. I'm hoping to have like a very clean full draft by the end of the year, which I will then my first two readers are my husband and my agent, which I'm which I will then give to them. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> You're so good at writing kind of a cheeky thriller. So I love that. That's, uh-huh. that's, that's a great wheelhouse. Genre. I love that. Yeah. Cheeky thriller. <laughs> a slight lighter touch exactly. than like the lovely bones, for example. <laughs> exactly. Like oh, God, I'm going to be awake for a month. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was tortured for a year. Okay. I've got a couple of questions for you from readers or from okay. book club members before we pop off here. This is from Becky McGeehan. She said, 
Alexandra, I'm wondering if there were, and I bet I know the answer to this, multiple versions of this story, like alternate endings at any point of the writing process. It was kind of a story without a hero, which is unique. And so that's true. What was an, an alternate ending? Because now, of course, we can't imagine it any other way. Right. But So I knew the one thing that stayed true the whole time was that I knew I wanted Florence to get away with it and get her drink, get what she wanted. I just really wanted that to happen. I didn't want it there to, so it's to sort of be like, and the moral of the story is like, the only way to get what you want is to work hard. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really, I wanted her to get away with it. But yes, there were certainly different ideas of how to get there. And I spoke with a few editors at different houses when I, when my agent first went out with it. And some of them thought that the scene with Agatha at the end went too far and like, you know, the reader didn't really want to go there, but I was very adamant that I really, I wanted to take her to a dark place, Totally, that, which we did, but yeah, yes. you did. She extreme <laughs> measures to finish <laughs> yeah. the deal. One more question. This is from Leanne Recton. She said, what is it like to write a book about well, writing books and from an author's perspective, I always wondered in the meta, what that feels like. And it is true when you kind of write from an insider's perspective and some of it, as you mentioned, is a bit autobiographical. Did you always just know literature, the literary publishing world is where this is going to be located? That's a good question. I didn't know that actually. I had a few different career ideas for Florence at the beginning. At one point I wanted her to, I thought maybe she should be like a wannabe actress. Another, I briefly thought maybe an artist, but literature is like kind of the only thing I know. (laughs) And, you know, when, after I sold the book, my agent said like, oh, you know, by the way, nobody, no publishing houses want to publish books about publishing or writing. Like, and I was like, oh, well, I really wish someone had told me that. But Uh Uh funnily enough, all these books came out at the same time. Like the plot came out at the same time, which is about writing. Yeah. And then I was told at one point that it didn't feel like Florence's like love of literature and writing like came through enough. And so I had to sort of go back, layer that in. But I remember being surprised by that because it just, it feels like the through line to my life. Like I'm always thinking about writing and literature. I'm always reading, like being a fish in water. It's just there. But I did actually have to like work a little bit to get that to come through. And it did. But I'm actually, so my next book is sort of, sort of set in the art world. I'm finding it, it's it's more of an effort to like, I'm not as naturally well-versed in artists and the art world. And so it's a bit more of an effort and I'm having to do a little bit more research. And I just keep thinking like, like all my like metaphor, I just want to keep referring to literature again. I'm like, oh, but of I can't course. do that. I've done that. <laughs> right, right. Of course, that's so accessible to you. Like exactly. you don't have to work for yeah. that at all. <laughs> oh, well, I, we can't wait for your next book. Very last question, always. And you just said it, but- our best writers are also readers always. And so we would just love to hear like, what are you loving right now? Or do you have a book that you've recently read that you're like, this is a slam dunk or even an old favorite where you're like, this is a must read. We're always looking for good recs. So actually right now, do you know the kids writer, Kate DiCamillo? Yes. Yes. So she is actually has gotten to know my husband a little bit. And she just sent us a whole bunch of books, which was so kind. And I just read her book, which is probably for kids older than mine, The Magician's Elephant. And it is so like magical, the kind of book that just like sucks you in and takes you somewhere. And I'm now getting like very into these sort of like, I wouldn't really say I don't maybe they're fantasy novels, 
Okay, so there's this writer, Peter Cameron, who writes these beautiful novels, Andorra. Oh, gosh, his most recent one was has night in the title, but I can't remember off the top of my head, but you can Google it. And he just does this wonderful job of creating this very sort of like atmospheric, otherworldly place, but it's not another world. Or John Crowley, his book, Little Big, also has this sort of magical feeling. And I'm feeling this urge to just get like sucked up into a whole world that has been created. And I'm actually feeling an urge to like kind of write that type of novel next. What else? Oh, I just probably, I mean, this, I, I do this thing where I read like these huge smash hit books, like 10 years too late. <laughs> I'm reading Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. How is it? Susanna Clark, which came out, I mean, I think like a decade ago, but it's it's so enjoyable. It's just like the amount of work and thought and imagination that goes into these books is so inspiring and just mm-hmm. sort of delightful. Absolutely. I love what a good book can do. It just, um, there's just no equal of the way it can transport you, the way it can inspire you. Reading is such a delicious outlet. Okay. Well, listen, we are huge fans over here in our world and cannot wait to read your next one. Is it titled? I'm sure it isn't. It's not. Yeah, I'm so yeah, bad yeah. with titles. <laughs> oh, gosh, It doesn't even matter. Your publisher would change it anyways. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but we can't wait for it to come out like we will be signed up and lined up to read it oh, thank and so, you. so nice. absolutely loved who is Maud Dixon and thrilled for your success you deserve it it is such a good novel and so, so fun to read I mean just <laughs> fantastic and so keep going and we will keep reading thank you so much thank you for having me thank you for reading it and totally. thank you for your great questions this was so fun all right Alexandra bye